we're starting to understand how people are using the buildings more through this data. And I think by actually having and collecting all this data, we can actually create strategies and find operational conveniences, let's say, to make these properties A, either more efficient or B, more adaptive to our needs and things like that. Welcome to Buildings 2.0, where we dive deep into the technology, trends, and visionaries reshaping the very structures we work in. Here is your host, Jose Cruz Jr., CEO of Integrated Projects. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Buildings 2.0. Today, I'm speaking with a very special guest, Michael Bartholomeos the head of digital transformation and technology at Prodea Investments, one of the leading publicly listed real estate companies in Greece with total assets exceeding 2.9 billion with real estate portfolios consisting of 380 commercial properties from offices to shops and recently warehousing, hotels and residential sectors. Michael, thanks for chatting with me today. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit more. So before your background in Prodea, what were you working on? My background is a little confusing if you look at it on paper. So my first job, I was in event planning. I organized car events, the national car show here in Athens, different reporting events for magazines and everything related to cars, basically, that you see on like car magazines. And I was doing that during uni. After that, I started working for the CEO of a shipping company. The shipping company was going bankrupt, so he put together a team of, you know, mixed background individuals, and he tried to kind of find interesting ways to save the balance sheet and uh, make the business profitable. So we started looking at renewable energy projects. We looked at bringing electric cars from China to distribute to taxi drivers here in Greece, basically creating an electric version of the taxi system here. And among that, we also looked at various real estate projects, mostly sale and lease back deals, because the company had a few properties that were on their balance sheets that we thought maybe was a good idea to sell them and then lease them back, get the injection of cash and reduce expenses, let's say. And that's kind of where the real estate bug bit me. You know, I really liked the whole concept of real estate and, you know, using it to make investments, get profit back, and then just keep growing a portfolio. So I switched over and I got a job at Prodea Investments. Back then it wasn't called Prodea, it was called the MBG Pangea. It was a subsidiary of the National Bank of Greece, so MBG. And it was a small team, but, you know, they were all, all very, very driven. I'm very lucky to say that the majority of the team is still here today. And I enjoy working with them for the past 12 years almost. So that's kind of how I got into real estate. Yeah, yeah. Mark us through maybe an average day. So, you know, from start to finish, what could an average day look like for you in your role? Okay, so lots of creative thinking, lots of troubleshooting and project managing several projects. I have two roles here at Pradea. One is the digital transformation, and then I'm also the head of technology as well. So my day-to-day work gets split usually unevenly towards one side or the other of the double role. But generally, it's always different and always interesting. I never have the same day. But what I do try to keep constant is my mornings. I 
usually allocate my mornings to solving big complex problems that require what I like to call a uh, quiet power and quiet power is my equivalent of, you know, monk mode or whatever people are calling it these days, quiet space, no distractions and very, very strong coffee. And I usually block in this time, first hour, hour and a half of the day to get my hands dirty on projects that need, you know, my unabiding focus. If there's nothing specific on the agenda regarding big projects, I use this time creatively. And I mean, creatively, I've compiled a list of tools and platforms and different solutions that I've seen or demoed or heard of in this Airtable. And I go through it almost every single day or whenever I have some free time in the mornings. And I try to think, how can I use these tools to benefit the company or some department or even potentially multiple departments? So that's the creative side, let's say, of my mornings. Midday, I'm usually on calls and alignment workshops or demoing products or in demos or actually getting my hands dirty in workshops and migration projects. And I leave the last hours of the day for paperwork, emails, and uh, number crunching. Number crunching is my favorite thing to do. I think I'm addicted to data. And I find that this kind of, you know, reverse avalanche kind of approach to work has helped me out on a personal level because at the end of the day, I tone everything down and I get to go home and actually relax and be more calm with my family. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to look at it. I think between learning what's coming ahead, also addressing what's right in front of you and being able to kind of allocate proper time is so important. You talk about being addicted to data. What does that mean? Basically, I was always very much into numbers and coding from a young age. I think I built my first website on GeoCities when I was 12. So yeah, I've always, you know, loved how you can use data because back then it was databases, basically an HTML and SQL to kind of pull that information together to produce a product being a website back then. But I actually became a data junkie my first year here at Perdea. And that's because I was seeing how people were working and they each had their own, you know, data set. Everyone had their own Excel files. Everyone was doing their own thing. And when, you know, it was time to either number crunch or get some specific KPIs out or metrics, everyone would compare their own data, compile it and actually create the required result. When I saw this, I, you know, I thought to myself, this is taking forever. You know, we have the numbers in theory ready. Why is it taking so long to find, you know, what the occupancy rate is or find out what our annualized income is or so I went into my quiet power mode. This took maybe three weeks and I got everyone's data. I took everyone's Excel sheets without them knowing. <laughs> and I compiled it into this ginormous Excel file that we here still to this day call the property database. So that was one of my first projects that I undertook coming into Prodea. And basically what I wanted to find was a way to keep all our data centralized, organized, accessible to whoever needed it. And, you know, with a push of the button, as you updated the file, everything else got updated as well. So that's, I think, where the effects of data obsession kicked in. Now, and then how do you make that jump from, you know, one thing is acquiring data. Another thing is digital transformation. I'm aware that, you know, for the last, I'd say, two decades, we've been talking about the digital transformation of text and later images and then PDFs. What does digital transformation mean in the context of physical buildings? The first things we have to understand is that 
data doesn't lie. The moment you have data, whether you have an actual use for it at the moment or you are just collecting it, you know, to have it or because it's readily available, that means that you could potentially use it down the line. And I think now with how, you know, the Internet of Things is evolving and buildings are becoming smarter and you're getting built-in readers that transmit all their data and the consumption rates per hour or the lighting, and we're starting to understand how people are using the buildings more through this data. And I think by actually having and collecting all this data, we can actually create strategies and find operational conveniences, let's say, to make these properties A, either more efficient or B, more adaptive to our needs and things like that. Right. I'm curious, are there specific frameworks that you use to analyze not just data, but data in the service of maybe answering a question, whether it's gearing up to acquire a property or to renovate it, or in this case, you know, a framework to understand what data do we need to actually operate the asset? What frameworks or what questions do you ask of the data to make it useful in, you know, specific life cycles? That's a multi-faceted question. I'm going to try and answer it as, as best as possible. Every data set has its own unique collection of values and information that it gives us, the readers or the users. The framework is more focused on what you want this data to do. So now there's a huge trend with ESG. It's actually becoming a real thing. You know, people have been talking about sustainability for years now. And finally, it's becoming pragmatic now. And, you know, I don't know what's going on in the U.S., but in the EU, they're starting to make companies report on their ESG and what their carbon footprint is. And I think by the year 2015, don't quote me on this, we're going to have to be reporting almost everything down from what materials have been used, how those materials were brought to the development site, what kind of impact that had on the ecosystem and the world. And so let's say that data set for ESG, we have to look at, you know, organizing it and figuring out a nice way to portray it and show it to investors because investors are looking at ESG a lot as well. You know, they want to, you know, put their money in to things that are sustainable and investments that are forward-looking and green and whatnot. So answering that for every kind of aspect of data that can be collected is a huge ask, let's say. Other than ESG, though, we have building data, let's say. We can break it down into building data, and that comes down to usage metrics from electricity, water, internet, telephony, air, you know, HVAC units. I think using that, we can use the data to kind of monitor and figure out how these buildings need to be upkept and maintained. So that's a different way of managing that data set. Right, right. I'm curious, in, in your position, does it skew one way or the other, meaning from how do we acquire a building or how do we reposition or rethink this building? To your point about some of the 2050 goals, how do we take a current asset improve it, change it so that it can well, uh, be compliant. Part of our business model is to improve existing properties that we have in hopes that they will get a better yield, better return on our investment and the likes. So gathering this data, figuring out which you know buildings or properties are in need of more help or refurbishment is definitely something we look into. Yeah, yeah. What's a, maybe a significant project you've come across in your years at Perdea 
that maybe stood out to you as uh, a project that was uh, successful kind of in the eyes of the team and you know, occupants and investors? Well, one of the projects is it just launched. It took us a while to get it off the ground, but I think it's going to be groundbreaking for how we operate here on a day-to-day basis. And that's the acquisition of a property management software. Up until 2018, we were still a subsidiary of the bank. The bank had the majority, the managing control of the company. So anything we needed had to go through the bank's bureaucracy and getting things approved was rather difficult. 2019, we became autonomous. We, the bank's shares got bought out by an investor and we actually, you know, were able to spread our wings, so to say, and, uh, execute our own business plan. So I think in 2019, we started thinking, you know, what's the first thing we need to do? And that was get a property management software in place to streamline processes that were very manual, time consuming, you know, like tenant management, lease management facilities management, all these things, because at that time we were still a small team we were 20 something people, I think, and we were managing a portfolio of 300 plus properties spread across Greece, Italy, Cyprus, Romania, and Bulgaria. So it was running us thin. And I think I saw the opportunity there. And that's when I started to think, okay, we need to actually go ahead with this. And I started looking into solutions. And right when we were about to start, you know, drafting up the RFP, COVID hit. So we had to switch our focus to kind of getting everyone aligned with the new reality that was working remote, getting up all our systems to be able to accessible from everyone's homes, maintaining security and cybersecurity risks. So it took a bit longer than necessary, but now we have initially signed with MRI Horizon. US-based company, but we're, we're speaking with the UK branch to install Horizon, which is their property management suite. And I think that's going to help everyone within the company streamline their day-to-day and automate as much as possible. I'm a big fan of automation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. You know, it sounds like perhaps the initial challenge now is just simply somehow centralizing a lot of databases or information that just seems probably spread out across PDFs, spreadsheets, you know, other files, et cetera. And challenges, how do you kind of get everybody speaking the same language? Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, that's exactly the case. And I think that's going to be the most difficult aspect of this project is to get everyone on board. You know, we call it digital transformation, but it's more user focused than it is tool focused. The tools are just there to help adapt to these changes and make things easier for the user. So I think, you know, one of the main focuses that we've had as a company here in management is supporting it is the entire user change management and to help users, you know, transition into this new reality. Yeah. Yeah. So digital transformation in and of itself is nothing new in the context of real estate. How or perhaps why have you seen, based off your experience, a slow adoption within real estate as perhaps compared to, you know, other industries? Is it because it's fragmented or or otherwise? What's been your experience? So I think real estate has been, you know, slow to adopt this whole transformation wave simply because it's a slow moving business. You know, it's not like trading stocks where things happen in seconds. And if you miss, you know, five, 10 seconds, you've lost your, you know, your profits. Or it's not like supply chain logistics where you miss your shipping container and then it gets sent off to another 
sports and then it's just chaos. Time, it is of the essence, but it's not detrimental to the success of, you know, being a real estate investor. So I think that has kind of allowed people to be slower to adopt new technologies and new trends. At the same time, a lot of people don't really see the benefit of, you know, transforming a pretty brick and mortar kind of a business like real estate because they don't necessarily immediately see the gains. Let's say we take an office building and we convert it and update it to be more, you know, tech enabled, you know, you get IOT infrastructure in there, you know, you set up the air system, the lighting system, access, security controls, everything is integrated into this smart building. I think it's past the point where automated lighting was, you know, a nice thing or, you know, an amazing feature of technology. I think now it's kind of interesting to see how the use of all this data can adapt the building to be alive. Let's say, you know, it'll understand what people are in the office and they'll understand movement. So if there's movement, the AC needs to be on and the ventilation needs to be on. The moment someone leaves the office or their particular meeting room or something, the building will understand that and shut everything down. And I think that this is all happening. No one's aware of it because, you know, Schrodinger's box, you put a cat in the box, you don't know if it's alive or dead, kind of. If you leave a meeting room, do you know if the, all the tech inside is enabled or not? Is the ventilation on? Is the AC on? You don't know until you actually go in. So I think that aspect of not being aware of what the building is doing is another reason why things are moving a little bit slower because no it's not tangible in the immediate effect. But later down, down the road, when you see, you know, the consumption bills and the energy bills and everything, and it's all decreasing slowly, I think that's when people kind of realize that, oh my God, this is working. We need to focus on this more. Mm -hmm. Just to zoom out for a second, because you, you mentioned something earlier that is still in my mind. And then zooming in, you know, you're talking about everything from you know, smart IoT systems to HVAC systems. You're currently managing a portfolio of over 380 buildings or probably even more at this point. If I were to zoom out, you know, there's 1.6 billion buildings approximately today. And it's estimated that our footprint is likely going to triple by 2050, all the while trying to figure out how do we improve our current inventory of assets from commercial to residential to industrial, as well as building for the future. The scale at which it has to happen in a relatively short period of time is something unprecedented. You know, basic back of the napkin math says that from now to about 27 years from now, we're almost in 2024, so 26 years, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of buildings per day that need to be digitized and then ultimately not just digitized or, you know, reported on, but actually improved. And that's just the existing inventory question for you is, this is something that keeps me up at night, is like, what needs to be true in order for us to be able to improve our assets at scale? And, you know, you're on the front lines of a very large portfolio. How do you rein in on what you're managing? And then in some ways, being able to kind of improve these assets at scale? Well, the first thing that we try to do is, first of all, any new developments or any new projects that we undertake to construct, we make sure that everything is sustainable, green. We always try and get our properties certified by LEED or BREAM to make sure that at least during the construction and the initial you know, fit out, things are to the best that they can be at the current point in time. 
for existing stock, that's a difficult process because at least in Greece, where the largest portion of our portfolio is, a lot of these properties are either deemed neoclassics, so you can't really tamper with them too much. And there's not much you can do in reality. Let's say, you know, you want to improve the energy efficiency of a building. One of the first things you can do is, you know, change the window framings. But one of the guidelines of the neoclassical association here is if it's wood and it was built before, you know, the 1930s or something like that, it has to stay wood. So you can't really improve on that. So there are a lot of roadblocks ahead, but there's slowly, there's a lot of new products and new processes that are coming out and new materials that can help you get the same results while being aligned in, with those guidelines and rules and laws. Now, for looking forward, you know, you said there's 1.6 billion worth of uh, buildings around the world. I think request to digitize and make them all sustainable and green. Unfortunately, I don't think it's possible. I think a lot of them we're going to have to tear down and rebuild from the beginning mm-hmm. just to be able to reach the specific and ever-growing standards of you know what sustainable means because sustainable 10 years ago isn't what sustainable is today. So if you renovated a building 10 years ago, you know, maybe in five, 10 years from now, it might not be green anymore. So it's just this cycle of constant improvement to create more efficient and more, you know, technologically advanced and more sustainable products out there. So I think it's going to be a mix of, you know, tearing down old buildings that can't reach the goals that you need, replacing them with new ones until we get to the point where everything's all right. And you alluded to this, but, you know, looking ahead, what are some of the innovations in technology that you think are going to have the most significant impact on portfolio you're managing? You mentioned things like property management tools. Are there any other existing or emerging technologies you're paying attention to? Yes. On a personal level, there are several things that I'm looking into. It's still a bit advanced for the Greek standards, I think. You know, you have all these aspects of AI coming around. And, you know, imagine putting AI in a building that has data sensors everywhere. You can use this AI to ask the building to operate at the most efficient level as possible, and it'll understand what that means and just adjust everything accordingly on the spot constantly without any human intervention. So I think that is something that's going to be very interesting to see how it's going to play out. I think I caught a report somewhere of a building that that had set something up like that, but it was only to their ventilation and uh, air conditioning units. But I'm thinking even further, maybe, you know, it'll be able to tell when someone's in a specific room and forward all their calls to the phone device that's there. I know we have mobile phones and everything, but, you know, it's just an extra level of automation that could happen behind the scenes without anyone knowing. And I think that will liberate and make you know, work environment so much more interesting and adaptable. One more thing that I like, I'm keeping a very close eye on, but that is miles ahead from Greece. I think abroad it's starting to happen is tokenization and using assets as digital currencies to either raise money or distribute ownership between properties. And I think that's a very interesting way of how to get more people on board with investing in real estate because not a lot of people have, you know, the assets to go and buy a unit and flip it or rent it out to, for to make some side money. So I think allowing tokenization of real estate 
to be traded on a decentralized exchange just releases all the barriers that traditional you know stock and bonds have on trading real estate and investing in real estate yeah you nailed it i think both ai as well as the ability to rethink ownership is so fundamental in making sure that it's as accessible as ever are there specific pieces of advice that perhaps maybe you're 10 years younger or 15 years younger you'd be giving to folks getting into real estate things to maybe frameworks to rethink how real estate has been considered to date someone go, coming in to your position what should they be thinking about in digital transformation we focus on the three p's that's people's processes and the products the first and most important is the people you want to involve them so that they can be feel part of the change and understand it and that way it makes it easier for them to embrace the change you also need your leadership to stand behind the change and kind of foster a culture of improvement so that everyone is always kind of forward thinking it's a collective process transformation and you also at the same time you have to address the expectations of the person that's receiving this change you can't overpromise and you can't underpromise because then it's not just not appealing to them to partake and actually taking the change the second p is the processes you need to streamline and engineer the processes to use digital tools and usually that means mixing things up a lot you have to make sure that what you are providing will enhance the users and enhance the workflow and reduce the amount of manual effort that's required on their end and the last one is the product the product is you know there's hundreds of choices i think nowadays for the majority of the problems that people face so it's important to not get shiny silver object syndrome you know not everything is mandatory not everything is necessary it's good to have the bigger picture you know in the back of your head but you also don't want to just you know get every single tool that exists you know a project management tool a, a property management tool a ERP system that helps with, with like workflows and stuff like that you need to kind of be calm and collected and think about how one of these tools or which one of these tools can benefit the largest amount of people within your organization or your company and the last within the product is you need to collect data and i'm saying this not as a data junkie but just start collecting data as soon as possible it doesn't matter if you know what it's going to be used for or not just collect as much of it as you can because down the line most likely you're going to need it even if you haven't thought of why today maybe in 2 years 3 years you're going to need it and it's going to be a lot easier if you have collected it to sort it then to try and go back in time and find out what the data was 100%. That's all the time we're going to have to cover for today, but extremely insightful. I think you talked about the importance of data, you know, the 3P framework of people, process and product, some of the rising regulations as well as like where the market is going. Michael, you've been incredible and I can't wait to do a part 2. Before we wrap up, if folks want to follow you, what's the best place for them to go? I am currently on LinkedIn and I'm building a blog. It hasn't launched yet, but what I plan to do is bring this corporate enterprise digital transformation knowledge down to like freelancers and solopreneurs and small businesses to kind of help them benefit from all these tools that are out there. Amazing. 
Amazing. It was a really fun conversation and um, I'm definitely going to be sure to follow along on that blog. So let's keep in touch and uh, thanks again for joining. Thank you.